Welcome to the IQ Meets EQ podcast. I'm Jackie Broman, Principal Solicitor at TBA Law and CEO of Legally Wise Women. And as always, I'm here with Ush Danik, former corporate lawyer, then head of HR, and now an emotional intelligence coach. Hi, Ush. Hey, Jackie. How are you going? <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. How are you? Good. Good. Can't believe it's already 2021. Since yeah. We got- that's right. Mm-hmm. And while it's the second podcast for the year, it's only the first time we've chatted since New Year. Correct. So exciting in a way, but also, it is. as you say, like we're so far into January, it's also like, oh. <laughs> How has that happened, right? So quick. <laughs> How has that happened? That's right. Where has the break gone? Yeah. <laughs> I know. It feels, for me, it feels like there hasn't really been a break. Mm. it's sort of gone really quick and January's flown by I sort of just had the uh, public holidays off and mm. holidays here and there mm. and it was sort of the first Christmas without Gia properly so that was a bit like oh my god it feels really weird mm. but part of me was like it wasn't even Christmas <laughs> oh <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah different so different this year yeah yeah, I certainly feel like I had a great break and I feel like I'm clinging on to it <laughs> <laughs> because I am really struggling to get my productivity back. I'm really struggling to do all the things that I used to do and I'm struggling to care as much as I used to about whether those things are done or not. <laughs> yeah, but you say that like that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, you're probably putting too much pressure on yourself to go from zero to 100 Mm. by the sounds of it. Mm. Maybe. Yeah, it's it's a bizarre kind of feeling because usually, you know, the start of the year is really motivating and uh, you got all the plans for the year and you start making things happen. But now I'm like, why did I book that in for myself? I could not be stuffed. Yep, I think that's probably what it is. The expectation of going back into it literally just because a date on the calendar in January says that you have to. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like your body hasn't caught up with, you know, the dates on the calendar yet and your mind hasn't caught up. Mm. And that's okay. It's almost like you just need to go, you know what, I'm, I am going to get back into it because you know you will. As much as you'd like to have January, the whole of 2021 off, it's not going to happen. No. I think just go with the flow a little bit in this one Mm, yeah maybe the start of the year is the first of feb for me (laughs) yeah after australia day right just take it easy till till that's all done (laughs) yeah yeah okay that's a good plan i'll take that one take it off take take january off (laughs) so you in the office or are you still yeah well yeah i am i i never really stopped going into the office and yeah the majority of us are back in into a usual pattern yeah it definitely feels a bit better now Hmm. than it did last year that's for sure yeah but I still don't feel we've got any sense of normality and you know in New South Wales we've still got masks and I was a bit cheeky you know I sort of don't really want to wear them so you know sort of have it half on half off and it was interesting yesterday just people sort of not saying but looking Hmm. and then almost feeling the same well she hasn't got it I don't want it so I saw a few people start taking theirs off and I had Gia with me she's like put your mask on you know she's like one of those so in the end I'm like right let's put it back on but yeah 
it's it's getting a bit better. I think it would be better if we don't have compulsory masks, that's for sure. Yeah, we've still got masks too. They eased them back just to shopping centres. So at least that's a little bit of a change. But in some ways it's worse. I, I felt that when we had to wear masks everywhere, even if we were just walking outside, it reminded us that there was something that we needed to be aware of and stay aware of. And I think that when they took the masks away again the first time, we all just sort of bounced back and thought, ah, this is over. And then there was obviously that little scare over Christmas and then we're back to to masks again. Should have just just keep them. I've bought like so many fashionable masks that I've got something different to wear with every outfit that I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) amazing (laughs) so yeah I mean interesting (coughs) reflection because we're not just bubbly and jumping up and down about the new year either of us are we no and I think it's it's that case isn't it we're just sort of easing back in I think when we did the last episode we probably thought oh yeah that's great get 2020 behind us and you're right bounce back into 2021 and I think we're both still in that process of all right we're we're there but we're not at the level we thought we would be. No bounce? No bounce, no. <laughs> not yet anyway. I mean, it's been busy though. It's not like it's not been busy. I sort of, yeah, I was back at work on the 4th. So mm-hmm. it was pretty full on. <laughs> well, they say it's good to be busy. It's just the level of busyness, I guess, isn't it? <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I chatted with Kelly Badge and it was, Mm. I recorded this before Christmas and yeah, it was a great chat about a couple of aspects, but also a a chat with another great woman in a, in another professional service that I haven't had too much exposure to with the accounting. And it really sort of opened my eyes to how broad accounting specialization is as well. So Mm. Kelly Badge went and launched a new business during COVID. So she's one of the two partners at Forensic Solutions Litigation Support in Melbourne, where they prepare a lot of valuations for businesses, for husbands and wives during family law proceedings, mainly as an expert witness and then also business valuations for directors and shareholders that are arguing. She's originally from country Victoria, just like me. So let's listen. Right, Kelly, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good, Jackie. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no worries. I'm excited to dig deeper because I know that you've been a listener. And so uh, you know the format and you've contacted me a couple of times around some of the conversations we've had. So I want to dig in and, like I said, find out about your journey and a lot more, a lot deeper than we've gone before. So, absolutely. It sounds good. I know you grew up in the country. I did. That's right. I grew up um, in central Victoria. So Mm -hmm. initially on a dairy farm as a young kid, primary school age kid, and then moved to Euroa up in central Victoria, Mm. mid-primary school, uh, and then finished all of my childhood and schooling up in Euroa before coming to Melbourne for, for university. So what did you want to be when you were growing up? So really as a country kid and coming from a family that were non-professionals as well, Mm -hmm. really your career is or it was 
sort of pivotal around what you were good at at school. Mm. You know, I didn't really have too much exposure to professionals or anybody else mm. other outside of, you know, my friends group or what their parents were doing. Uh, so it came down to what I was good at, at school. So probably year nine, I think, was a pivotal point for me oh. or year 10 around, you know, a couple of subjects at school that I thought I was good at or enjoyed. So I, I did like doing the architectural drawings that we had in some of our graphic design classes so I, I really sort of gravitated towards that and I was also good at accounting mm -hmm. so when it came to you know what I conceptually see as you know a 15 year old and where I would or could end up accounting was for me because it was the class that I did the best at and at that time there were you know tv shows on that my girlfriends and I would watch and you'd see people in um, professional suits going oh, I want to mm. do that when mm. I grow up I want to be able to wear a suit because of course <laughs> none of my family even owned a suit let alone you know the only time you'd see a suit would be at a funeral in the country <laughs> or a wedding Hmm. Sometimes. So a celebration, yeah, either of, you know, life or, or the end of life. So that was probably an aspirational point for me. <laughs> and so, you know, if you find something that you're good at, you tend to just focus on that and, and mm. see how far you can take that. So <laughs> that was pretty much my inspiration for my career. <laughs> and I'm still an accountant today. So Yes, yeah. <laughs> Love the inspiration of all the TV shows with the suit wearing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as a comparison, I mean, I went to public school in northeast Victoria, <clears throat> like you as well. And the expectations of girls in the 90s was pretty low in terms of what a career might be. Did you mm -hmm. get a similar experience? Were you one of the few who actually went and aimed high? Yeah, I probably was one of the few. We only had a small cohort of, of students that finished year 12 or went through year 12 at that time. Mm. I think there were about 40 of us in the school and it was a regional high school, public school. We had some mature age students, so some of the mums had come back to school as well, which was unusual for the school. And we also didn't have the capacity to run all of the VCE subjects that students wanted either. So, for example, our physics class was run with Alexandra Secondary College or High School. So we did, and it was all by phone because there was no Zoom back then. <laughs> so that was, that was a challenge, learning physics over a telephone connection. And we did do an excursion once in the year to go over and meet the students that we were on the class with as well. So that was quite an interesting episode. But, you know, I think I probably was at that sort of higher end of the school where they could mm. see that I was someone that could potentially get into university. Yeah. And I guess, you know, they, the school were pretty good in still driving you or encouraging you to push as far as you could. Obviously, science was that, you know, there were quite a number of science classes that were offered at school. So STEM was just starting to come in, although we didn't call it that back then. No. <laughs> and I think it was not necessarily that women could move into science. It was more the fact that you could try something a little bit more difficult than, mm. you know, a humanities class or Mm. accounting or anything like that so yeah I think you know that the school was good in that sense but 
I don't think we had career advisors or anything like that at school either. It was really just, you know, by the time you hit year 10 or 11 and you were in the country and you were thinking that you might like to go to university, maybe get your parents to drive you down to Melbourne Mm. to some of the open days and do a little bit of your own research at that point. Mm. And I think we had like a university's guide or something I remember looking at and and plowing through all the job descriptions and what everything sounded like yes and most of them just did not make sense to you know a 17 16 17 year olds you kind of just you know don't understand that but you try and choose something that you kind of can understand and and seems like something that might be of interest and you just give it a crack I think <laughs> it's pretty much how you operated yeah yeah so did you do a straight accounting degree straight away is that what you went in and did I did so I had probably an easier transition into city life as a kid I ended up at Latrobe in Bandura so there was it was on the outskirts of the the city Uh, there are a lot of trees still straight back up the Hume Highway to home every weekend if I needed to or school or university holidays Uh, So, yeah, it was definitely just a straight commerce degree. Even that in itself, there were really not a lot of decisions to make because the degree was set around the prerequisites to then becoming a professional accountant and getting Mm. your CA or CPA training. So there there was a lot of structure even around the university uh, degree that I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then, and it's similar for lawyers as well. So you get your degree, but then you're pretty useless with a degree. You can't do much. So yes, you have to go and do the extra bit to, to be able to work. So yes. what did that look like for you and where did you do your first bit of work? Yeah, so what that looked like, like most uni students that are going into accounting or, or law, you've then got that final year of trying and at the start of that final year to try and find a position in one of the accounting firms. If you're lucky enough to get an internship, then that would generally set you up well. I wasn't, um, the university that I went to went huge on sort of pursuing internships. So I started just that grad recruitment process at the start of the third year of uni. Um, And it was just a matter of reaching out to all of the mid-tier, top-tier firms in the in the CBD uh, and going through that process. So it's it's an intense few months Mm. and a lot of you know, I remember the first suit that I bought to come in to go to yes. <laughs> one of those graduate recruitment sessions and it was a navy pinstripe long skirt and jacket oh. and, like, you just would not be able to wear it these days. No. But, you know, it was such a cool look and I felt so professional and you walk into the base of the building and the most spectacular buildings you've ever seen mm. as a country kid. And I think I went through maybe four or five different recruitment drives for different firms and ended up with a role at Pitcher Partners, which is a mid-tier mm-hmm. or a large mid-tier accounting firm now. And at that point, their, their roles for graduates were quite broad. So you'd enter a general accounting group. So you would have a lot of um, experience around preparing tax returns, financial statements, doing some auditing as well as management accounts. So it was really FBT and a few other um, tax um, type matters as well. So it was quite a broad beginning, which was Mm. excellent as a graduate. Being a country kid, I think I was also sort of gravitating towards the clients that they had based out in the country as well. So I would find myself traveling quite a bit up into back into central Victoria to a number of clients up there so 
you know, I had a couple of timber clients, sawmills, so really sort of blokey country mm-hmm. type environments. But, you know, I felt at home in those environments anyway. So, you know, I was more than happy to be able to get in the car and, and drive up to a client, you know, four or five times a year and, mm. and learn more of the intricacies of accounting, but still being able to apply that almost in a, a home-like environment for me that I was so used to growing up in. Yeah, that sounds great. It's mm. the broader the experience you get, the earlier I think it often sets you up really well. Yes. And being a country girl myself, I think with so little exposure to that corporate world, it was even more important to have a broader exposure to work out what you actually wanted to do too. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as you move through your career, and you start to get ingrained in your line of work and, mm. and the areas of expertise that you sort of move into, you start to understand just how broad, mm-hmm. you know, accounting is and that, that it's multifaceted. And although I'm still an accountant, I've moved through many different areas of accounting mm. over my career. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, that's fascinating to see as well mm. and watch that evolve as you get more experience and move through different firms as well yeah yeah and so you've moved through some firms but now you're out on your own correct yes and you also I suppose talking about specializing have really focused down on forensic accounting haven't you Absolutely, I have. So that was a bit of a path within itself, actually. So Mm. after doing a few years as a general accountant, I used to sit over the petition from the insolvency team Mm -hmm. and I would hear their conversations all the time and they were the most fascinating conversations. And so for me, you know, I was sort of sitting on on the other side of the petition, almost thinking maybe the grass is greener on the other side of the fence (laughs) and maybe I'd like to have a a bit of more knowledge around, you know, what the insolvency sphere of the accounting area looks like. So as part of my professional studies, I actually moved and did a CPA delegation as opposed to CA because they offered a specific subject in insolvency, um, which I did do that subject as part of my accreditation, liked what I had heard across the fence, liked what I had studied and decided that I'd move my career in that direction as well. And that was an area that I was interested in. So as I was moving along that path and to be able to do that, I needed to move firm because I didn't have a position available Mm. for me in the firm that I was at. But in looking at other positions, I came across a really unique role with with a Commonwealth government body, ITSA at the time, which is the Insolvency Trustee Services of Australia. They actually oversaw and managed the proceeds of crime files from a Commonwealth perspective. So very different from a, a firm environment. I actually applied for the Commonwealth role and I was successful. So I moved into that role for a short period of time, got in there and they didn't have or they hadn't had anybody in the proceeds of crime area managing that for a good six months so the files Mm. were had been left untouched and there was a bit of work to do on those so uh, it took me about six months to get them back into order to get the communication rolling again and to really open up the lines of communication with the the DPP and Mm. Australian Federal Police as well the three organizations had to work quite closely with one another Mm. because quite often we'd have assets that were confiscated and once the matter was finished they'd be handed over to ITSA and we were then to deal with those assets 
so we needed to have that really good communication between all three departments to ensure the smooth mm-hmm. completion of files. So that was an extremely interesting role yeah. and really opened my eyes up to the forensic nature of matters. Yeah, yeah, sounds fascinating. Yeah, it was. I, I learned a lot. Learned a lot, a lot about life actually in that role as well. Yeah. And, you know, a different side of life and, and the ramifications of those. You know, at one point we were asked to go out to a factory. There was a piece of machinery that had been used to import drugs into Australia. Mm-hmm. And as part of the the peculiar penalty order, we had this massive plastic injection moulding machine that needed to be disposed of. So mm. I needed to go out and get basically a scrap metal person to come out to the premises, have a look at it, give us a quote on the value of the um, the item so that we could then effectively destroy it, get the cash and, and put bank that into the, the government bank account. Yeah. Uh, but in the process, the police hadn't quite finished cleaning up the scene. So there were a couple of <laughs> piles of white powder sitting on the floor. Okay. And as a country girl, I'm, I'm still, you know, a bit naive to the ways of city life. I'm going, surely that's not leftovers from the hall that they'd um, uncovered through this machinery. And I don't know to this day whether it was because the police went out there at that point in time, but I suspect that it wasn't. They just hadn't quite cleaned up. (laughs) So, um, you know, I think that certainly opened up my eyes to Mm. city life, definitely. (laughs) But then that role I did for about 12 months and then moved into the insolvency role that I had initially planned on on moving into and had about two and a half years experience at that. Insolvency is a very particular Mm. area of accounting and I think you really need a particular way of dealing with things and mentality and for me I'm very much a person who likes to assist people. Yeah. And you can in insolvency, but it's a really negative environment to be in. Mm-hmm. Like you are dealing with people who are at the most, you know, lowest of points mm. in their career and their life if it's a personal insolvency matter. Yeah. And it's it takes a toll on you. My husband actually works in insolvency as well. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't great having two people in the insolvency industry <laughs> in the one household. So <laughs> I'm more of a, um, an optimist than a pessimist, I think. Yeah. So that there, there was a change that needed to take place more for me internally, though, as well. Mm. It just wasn't the right fit for me. No. Yeah. So at that point, I then I'd already started studying a master's in forensic accounting. So I'd finished my, my accreditation. Yep. Uh, and decided that I hadn't quite finished studying uh, <laughs> and I tend to find that I keep sort of pushing through life in trying to expand my knowledge or yes. interests um, more through study. More pieces of paper for the wall. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so at the point of finishing my accreditation and realising that I, I felt that I hadn't quite finished my study, I went to a, a careers forum in the Melbourne Town Hall and the University of Wollongong were there with a stall uh, or a stand advertising their master's in forensic accounting mm-hmm. oh oh that's very different <laughs> so I started studying my master's and yeah. halfway through that when I decided that insolvency probably wasn't right for mm. my personality um, type that I would move and try and align my career in, more in line with the forensic accounting so mm. I managed to find a role quite quickly at sort of a, a fairly not um, really junior but sort of you know a couple of um, tiers above um, to 
that allowed me to get in and, and space to learn as well because I had some of the textbook knowledge but not the on-the-ground experience, yeah. although I'd already had the experience in preparing financial statements, whereas really that um, forensic accounting is undoing and yeah. pulling apart the financial statements. So certainly the, the auditing, the um, account preparation and taxation had a massive input into being able to understand mm. the role that a forensic accountant has in sort of trying to unfold it. Um, the insolvency, once again, dealing with situations um, mm -hmm. where businesses had collapsed, um, mm. that certainly assisted Helped. as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the proceeds of crime in the street smarts, that also helps as well. Yes. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And so from there, it was just a matter of uh, honing in on that, that forensic accounting learning as much as I could some, mm. from some really preeminent um, forensic experts and taking it from there. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Yes. And for all those thinking that it's CSI, it's not CSI. No, it, no. CSI with numbers, <laughs> but certainly not with, with hard evidence or bodies or anything else. No. <laughs> um, quite often people will say, oh, forensic accounting, what, yeah. what does that mean? Mm. What does that actually do? And I said, well, it's a bit CSI, but with numbers, really. <laughs> we don't actually see any physical bodies or anything else. There's, there's no blood spatters that we've got to analyse or no. anything like that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the decision to go out on your own. Yes. So that's just recent. It's happened through COVID. Yeah. I mean, so many people have had to change or pivot. Mm. Um, pivot is such an overused word during COVID, but I think it's reflective of where everybody has been, mm. um, whether it's through a personal, you know, life and having to homeschool kids or whether it's a business mm. environment and having to, you know, effectively move everything back home, set up home offices, work out how you run as efficiently as you can in any environment. So mm. yeah, COVID has provided me the opportunity to effectively start up um, my practice, Forensic Solutions, still doing the forensic accounting. Yeah. And I've joined forces with uh, a fellow um, forensic expert who I'd worked with for a decade uh, before my last firm. So he was the the expert that I initially started out with, but with a couple of others, which is great. Yeah, so we've reunited and, and set up a, a firm together. Yeah. and have launched forensic solutions together so uh, it's been giving it's really given us the opportunity to reflect on you know where the marketplace is at the moment mm. and the niche areas that um, we can service just being a firm of two people mm -hmm. as well mm. yeah so, and yeah. being smaller and nimbler and understanding that yeah. there is a big unmet need there that mm -hmm. couldn't afford probably where you were before Exactly. And to be, you know, flexible around fee arrangements mm -hmm. and, you know, everything that um, professional services firms sometimes um, struggle mm. with um, yeah. and particularly at sort of that mid-level. Um, and during COVID as well, I did a little bit more study. Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, and did a collaborative. Yes law course as well um, so once again that sort of dovetails into what we do um, and my area of expertise around that financial piece mm. um, and particularly um, with the the aspect of family law which we operate in um, quite mm. significantly as well and the and being able to assist um, parties being able to work through their separation mm. um, and settle that outside of the court system. So a lot of the work that we do um, is within that court system, um, but there's other alternatives. So it was opening my eyes to what those other alternatives are um, and how my services can be applied in that, that different 
um, setting, which mm. has been liberating. It's been really interesting to see. And it's, it's for me, I guess, really great to know that my services can go across all of those facets, whether that's, you know, within the legal sphere or, or collaborative yeah. um, and outside. So yeah, um, yeah, that's very been, much that's so. That's been great. Yeah. So another, another little area to explore, which is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's, um, I mean, it's still hard work, but it feels like perhaps you're closer to what you realized you wanted to do when you're in insolvency, which was to, to help people. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's great. So I just also want to touch on something we were talking about before we hit recording, because you are, you know, you're a high performer, you're doing a million things. Um, You've got a home life to look after as well. Um, You study while you work full time. And we were talking before about having checklists in our head and being as efficient as possible with our tasks. Tell me about that conversation (laughs) you had with your husband. (laughs) Oh, this is just on the weekend. And my husband was sitting at the, the the table and we had breakfast and you know I barely finished my breakfast cup of tea and I'm up and you know off doing the next thing he said do you sit down ever and just you know take a moment I said I've got I've got like a thousand things on a to-do list in my head right now and I've just got to get through them and he sort of looked at me blankly I said don't you have a checklist like that you run through in your head and he said no I said not at all he said no, I said, don't you have something like, you know, you've got things to do? He said, no, not really. I said, well, I certainly do. <laughs> I've got a checklist. And, you know, I said, my checklist will go for, you know, there's days to a week of tasks that need to be done. Mm-hmm. But I said, not only am I working through my checklist, I'm actually working through it on a, you know, five, 10 minute time frame for, you know, what I need to do now, what I need to do in the next hour. And what can I chunk together and get done at the same time? So if I can, you know, I knew I had some errands to run. I thought, right, if I drop one kid off at sports and then I call past Bunnings and pick that up and I go and get the bread and then I come home, I've chunked down, you know, three things off my to-do list and I've done it in the one trip. And that's great. That's sort of, you know, you kind of feel um, a sense of relief to go, right, there's three things off my list. I'll just keep working down the list at the others. And he just looked at me blankly and he said, I don't do a checklist. I said, okay. <laughs> and I didn't I didn't um, go down the avenue of, look, I didn't want to generalise it and I didn't want to genderize it either, right. I guess, if that's yeah. a word. So I didn't want to mm. say, you know, maybe that's just because you're male and you just don't think three steps or ten steps ahead. Mm. Um, I think it comes down to people's personality. To be honest, I think mm. males do have some males, if they choose to, have a checklist yeah. um, in their head going constantly and it's, you know, a constant reel. And, yeah. you know, maybe that's one of my downfalls. I know I've got a checklist and it takes a fair bit of work to turn it off yeah. <laughs> when you need to turn it off. And I think that comes down to when people say, you know, they'll go on a holiday and they need two days to settle into their holiday mm-hmm. before they can start and relax. Mm-hmm. And I I think the number one question for them would be, do you have an internal checklist that is constantly ticking over for you? (laughs) And is it that you've got to hit the pause button and it just takes a while to reel itself back and slow down to actually sitting in a pause mode? 
Yeah. And I'm giggling because my mind works exactly the same. And it's such a relief to hear that other people are just as crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, and it's a relief when we had the conversation going, okay, so I'm not completely losing my barbels. And I, no. maybe I am kind of normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And a weekend is not long enough to stop the checklist from running either. If I no. have a day where I'm not doing the tasks on my checklist, my God, do I feel anxious about the next day, making sure I can get through everything on the checklist. Me too. <laughs> I so do that as well. And I almost think that sometimes you put a pause on the checklist and you might get three quarters of the way through the day and go, you know, I'm going to unpress that pause. I'm going to knock a couple of things off because mm. then I might actually feel a bit of relief that I've actually achieved something today. Yes. And then I'll, you know, fully release the handbrake tomorrow and just keep burning through that checklist. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the other thing you reached out to me about was some of the things that I'd expressed in one of the episodes about always trying to prove myself as a regional person and maybe mm. some of the perceptions that I think others hold of me versus what they actually might. And you had some reflection around that too. What do you think? I did have some reflection around <laughs> that. And, you know, I think we, you know, I find that I don't necessarily call out my background um, mm. to people within the professional spheres. Um, quite often I will certainly say that I've come from the country. Um, quite often people will pick it up though as well and I think that comes across, once again, it's a personality trait. Um, mm. People in the country I think uh, I wouldn't say more naive but they're more open, mm. generally more open book happy to have a conversation or strike up a conversation um but it then you know and I generally don't take it to the next level of you know what my upbringing was and the mm. fact that you know I'd come from a single parent family and I'd grown up in a commission home and you know I'd not come from the traditional city spheres of a private school with a whole lot of connections and, you know, when I was earlier on in my career and probably even still today, um, it was certainly something that I wouldn't bring up in conversation mm. and I wouldn't even take conversation down that route because I didn't really want to talk about, I guess, mm. too much and, and reveal that thinking that I would have a perception made upon me by others in the mm. room. Um, not one of pity, but one that, you know, you look at almost looking down on you maybe or mm. second guessing, you know, why you're there or... Um, what road you had to take to get to that mm. point. Um, you know, I think from, from the way that I sort of look at it, you know, if there was an opportunity that ever presented itself throughout my career, I'd, you just took the opportunity and ran with it and did the best that you could with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if it didn't work out, it didn't work out, but at least you gave it a go. And I think it was more that attitude that I took from my upbringing, just mm -hmm. like, you know, if you see a skerrick of an opportunity, then grab it and just run with it and and you know learn from it and see how far you can you can push it and, and work with it and and what other doors open up as a result of it as well. Mm, yeah. I think it's a really good learning from that. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And around not telling people about things because of perception, I also mm. think that it's it's almost it's just your feeling that there will be a greater divide between you and them. It's yes. not even what they may think about it. It's just you want to be on the same page and you are professionally. So why put any element of doubt in there about that is sometimes what it is too, isn't it? 
Oh, absolutely. And mm. I think, you know, for professionals that are, you know, you don't even have to be at the, the same age level, but generally the conversation will go along in the lines of, you know, do you have children and then you'll find a common element around that yeah. or, you know, what activities do you do outside of your professional life? You know, are you a cyclist or are you a runner? And, you know, you'll generally find an area of commonality mm. that you then start to build at that rapport in a personal relationship or a, a, a deeper relationship with somebody as opposed to delving back to your childhood and your upbringing and which school you went to and but I guess because I knew that I would not very rarely find someone that you know had the same sort of upbringing you just didn't really go there it's not you know I didn't know all of the private schools in Melbourne so if they brought up a school I did not have a clue of where that school was whether it was a private or a public school and it didn't matter to me either I think that's Mm -hmm. one of the other things that you know there's I didn't have a perception around the fact that, oh, well, so you went to, you know, a particular school and therefore you're smarter than me. Like it's Mm. not something that sort of entered Mm. my mind, I guess. So I didn't ever sort of take conversation there either for that reason. But I couldn't hold a conversation on an equal level either because I didn't have the knowledge of the Melbourne um, schools. So it was easier not to take the conversation there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Knowing everything that you know now. Yes, what would you go back and tell yourself in that third year of university? What advice would you give to yourself? Oh, I would probably say to myself that I needed to be confident internally. And by that I mean, you know, being, being someone that comes from the country, you tend to be a bit more open and happy to have a conversation with anybody. And people might see that as, some, as you having confidence. Mm-hmm. But I think... That, that internal confidence is the ability to try and subdue that imposter syndrome. So mm. that questioning around, you know, am I worthy? Should I be here? Why am I here? Mm-hmm. What if I'm found out? What are they going to find out anyway? Like that, that whole self-doubt and imposter mm. syndrome. But I think, you know, that is such a common thing for so many women, men as well, but yeah. women in particular, and actually, the the whole confidence piece is really interesting. I um, just had a conversation actually with my trainee solicitor about that this morning because we've also mm. got a work experience student here with us at the moment, but his work experience doing his law degree and he's 30-odd or so. Yes. Um, whereas my trainee solicitor, having finished her degree, you know, she's more like 23 or 24. Yeah. And we were reflecting on him and how sometimes confronting it was that he was so confident in just immediately asking like not scared of coming forward and saying you know I need to know this I need to know this what about this blah 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 whereas both of us in our own heads would go okay I need to ask this how do I ask that when's the right time to ask that if I ask that will I sound stupid blah 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 we have this whole internal conversation with ourselves and yet yeah this this guy is confident enough just to go just to ask and like it's refreshing but it's also confronting because we don't do it no I think we have the question we might research we might try and solve it Mm -hmm. so that when we actually go to ask the question we think we might know the answer 
And if we don't know the answer, we've got ourselves into such a flat panic because we've tried to find the answer, whereas we should have taken a leaf out of his book and just going, you know what, I know there's an issue here. Find someone that you trust is going to not knock you down a peg or two, Mm. as in not make you feel inferior, but actually go, okay, so I actually know the answer to that one. Let's work through this together and support you through it and mentor you through it. Yep. So, yeah, very I think a very um, good point that we need to sometimes take into account that, you know, sometimes you just got to ask the question. Yeah. 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 Last question. To keep yourself well, well, we've heard about the checklist. (laughs) Yes, my internal checklist. (laughs) But other little wellbeing tips, because you don't just sit and give yourself a moment. So we've heard that you don't do that. What, What things do you do to check in that you're going okay? Um, how did you check in with yourself that you were doing well, you know, with the COVID changes and all the stress around your own business and all those things, mm. you know, some little things that you do for your well-being? There's probably a few things that I do. I've got a really good support network of friends, of girlfriends. So I will check in with them every now and again. And particularly if you're feeling a little anxious or like you're not losing control, but you're a bit, you know, just having that one of those moments and I generally try and check in with my friends group and just have a conversation not even necessarily about what's on your mind but just to try and remove your mind from what it's going mm. and trying to internally process at the time and just have a break so I think it's about giving yourself a break from the situation that you're in at the time so for me you know it might be you know I'll go and do a bit of gardening mm. um, or I might do something to satisfy my creative side of the brain so mm. you know I love baking cakes and decorating them so if I really need a bit of headspace then you know I'll plan a cake and go and do that I'll decorate that I'll you know do something with the the kids along that line so it's turning your brain off from what it's focused on and and probably bogged down in at the time Mm -hmm. to then give yourself um, a bit of space and a, a break and give your brain a different way of processing, you know, a different activity altogether. You know, walks out, a bit of fresh air also helps. So I think it depends on where you're at at that particular point in time, how much time you've got to be able to give yourself that headspace as well. Mm. Sometimes you don't have a whole lot of time. So if that's the case, then, you know, baking the cake might not um, have that time to to be able to focus on it. You actually might stress yourself out more because it won't necessarily work out the way you're hoping to in in that space of time. But it might be that, you know, on that internal to-do list, that little garden bed is doing my head in because there's a whole lot of weeds there. Maybe if I take the space and time, get the fresh air, go and do that little job, Mm. takes it off my internal list, but it's also giving me some chill-out time as well to then get back into it. So I think, you know... It's um, compartmentalising um, different activities. Yeah, shifting your brain, your brain as well. Yeah. Like it's very neuroscience of you to think that way. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. It's You're wonderful. Um, great Thank conversation. You. Thank you. So we're going to give everyone links to your new business website as well. But is LinkedIn the best place as well to connect with you personally? Absolutely. Yes. So LinkedIn or forensicsolutions.com.au um, and my email address and mobile phone numbers on that uh, website as well. Very generous. Thank you. So yeah, thank you so much, Kelly, for your time. Thanks, Jackie. So I think a couple of things about 
my chat with Kelly. Like I love reflecting on, particularly because of our chat just now, about how our minds work with all these checklists and to-do lists that we have in our mind and how we segregate our day up to try and get everything done and make it as efficient as possible. And yeah, as I said earlier, my checklist is just not working at the moment. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I was actually going to pick that point up too. Funny you mentioned that as your starting point of the interview mm. uh, and it made me laugh listening to you both <laughs> at that point of the interview too and I think it's not only you and I you know a few people I've spoken to have said that they haven't got back into the swing of things and I think part of it is the uncertainty of what's still going on mm. out there but I think also the other part of it is that everyone had an expectation that the new year would bring about certain things for them and it hasn't yeah and I think the fact that it hasn't brought what we probably thought it was going to bring is thrown us into a tiz to go, well, don't really know what to do or how to deal with this. Mm. And for me, it's sort of just been let go of the control and surrender of it, to be honest, <laughs> and, and go with the flow. So for me, what that looks like is still doing the non-negotiables for me, which is my morning routine. Good. And I think it's, it's keeping things in the day that you can control that make you mm. feel good. So mm. for you, it would be your exercise and your walking and your running. Uh, and your dogs and the routine around that and then I think the rest of it is I'm gonna just go where the day takes me and I think that's okay too mm -hmm. hmm. such an oosh answer <laughs> yeah and I just think why are we putting so much pressure on ourselves to be a certain way and you know what it's not even the end of January and we're doing this to ourselves well yeah no that's right um, it's just, I guess, that because January feels so, this January feels so differently from other Januaries and we do have an expectation, but it's funny that we have an expectation around such an arbitrary calendar date yeah. when we can, you know, restart our life, I guess, any fresh day, can't we? Mm. Yeah, mm. absolutely. So I think, you know, for me, it's about going in the flow, really. Mm. Um, and I think it's funny you mentioned that thing about time. I did a subconscious hypno session. Yeah. Doing about four of them with, um, with a friend of mine in the UK. And he was talking exactly about this. So he got me to fly into my subconscious mind, which was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. uh, meditative state. And he said, there's a clock in front of you. And it's a large clock that's, you know, four times the size of you. So you got to climb onto the hands. And he says, instead of numbers, on the clock there are words like certainty now in three months four months five months six months oh. and he said I just want you to move the hands of that clock to say now and I'm like okay so you did that and then he goes that now can mean whatever it means for you whenever it means for you that you want to take action you want to be in the state of being and I thought that was really powerful it's exactly what you say is that we can change that time to be when we want it to be yeah yeah. Maybe before you hit record, you know, you said that your time might be first of Feb. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Maybe first of Feb can be the start of the new year. And if Feb doesn't seem quite right, maybe the first of March, because that's a Monday as well. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just keep pushing it back. Or then maybe it's second quarter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or after Easter. Or maybe just start at Christmas, might as well. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We've written 2020 off. Let's write 2021 off as well. Oh, right. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things I did to ease back into it is outside of the delivery, which is just in the calendar anyway, 
Mm. It was to focus on one thing. And and for me, that was, I had some really cool interviews lined up. So for me, it was like, okay, I'm just going to focus on getting through those. I've got one today. I did one last week. And for me, that was cool just to go. That's my focus for January is the interviews outside of normal client delivery. Yeah. Yeah. Good way to focus. And because we feel this way, I wonder now how Kelly's feeling now we're into January because, you know, she started a new business during COVID as well. And so she had that extra hustle and uncertainty during that period. And now the the hope of the new year and the busyness of it all. Yeah, it'll be interesting. <laughs> oh, well, we to get an update from her. Yeah, look, I think the few people that I've spoken to that have started businesses in COVID are actually doing quite well. So, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that they've started a business in COVID shows there's been a need for what they do. Yeah. Um, so I think the majority of them, I know the ones I, I've had a chat with, it's there is a sense of excitement mm-hmm. to go, you know what, this is something new we've created over COVID and, and to keep the momentum of that up into 2021. Yeah. Yeah. What a great mindset. <laughs> Hmm. Mm. So what is the one thing that you want to sort of focus on, I guess, between January and February to get you back in your routine? To be honest, I don't know if I want to go back to the same routine that I've had for so long. It's been intense. And a lot of people have been talking about how, you know, they had a break in 2020 and it's helped them reassess and I didn't have a break in 2020 I was the one keeping everything going um you know it wasn't luck that our business revenue didn't drop and that we couldn't get JobKeeper it was my never-ending hustle and So now that I've had a break over Christmas, maybe I'm now having that same reassessment that so many people have had and saying, well, it's not worth my health and the sacrifice of all the other bits and pieces in my life. Mm. Yeah, Mm. I hear you. You're right. You didn't have the break. So now that you have, it's like, okay, I want to continue <laughs> this break for the rest of the year. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how I'm feeling now. I mean, as, as you say, like two weeks time, I may have taken this off and, and be well and truly like just so motivated to, to do all the things again. Um. But, yeah, at this point in time, I'm just like, well, I know I'm not doing my routine as I usually would. I'm not as productive. And while I'm noticing that, I'm not sure that I care so much. Hmm. Well, that's what I'm picking up from you is the fact that you're sort of okay with that. And I think that's awesome. I think it's it's a really, really good thing. I think the old Jackie would have been, fretting and stressing over the fact that you haven't got back into it whereas you you're actually really calm about it Mm. and okay with it which is really refreshing to see in you actually (laughs) so you should just keep this feeling going for a while Mm. cool 
Well, that's sort of, it, you're sort of validating where I'm at too, which is good because I don't want to be told by, you know, any of my business peers or coaches at the moment that, you know, I need to be accountable and need to be doing these things. I'm just like, no, nah. <laughs> exactly right. And I think embrace that fact because knowing you, how I do know you, it's, it's rare. So <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a beautiful state of being, you know? Yeah. So let's give it a couple of weeks. Because <laughs> you're, you're in that surrender mode. That's exactly what you are. You're not trying to purposely shift the state because you feel you have to. You're just like, it is what it is. This is what I feel. And you're owning that, which is huge. Yeah. And I think, you know, you're almost giving other people permission to feel the same. And I'm sure there are many other people like yourself that haven't had that break. Or you know what? Even if they did get that break in 2020, aren't ready to go back yet. Hmm. Yeah. Totally cool. Yeah. Yeah. And how are you going to break out of that feeling that you, you know, you're back into it, but, but not quite as productive as you could be? Yeah. So I've done a few drastic things in turtle ush style as I do to shake things up. So there's a client of mine that's I'm finishing work with after about nine months to be honest, started with them at COVID time and it was quite time intensive and it was three days a week. So it's pretty full on delivery and that's finishing at the end of the month. So there's this awesome feeling of liberation of, wow, in first week of February, I'm going to have three full days back to myself to sort of work on the business. And yes, there's that potential fear which for some reason I'm not feeling of losing the income of that client but the other part of me goes wow it's actually allowed space for other things to come in Mm -hmm. Um, and focusing on some of those larger corporate clients that I want to focus on so Mm. it's it's actually quite exciting space to be in for me it's a bit novel to go wow I'm going to have three days to myself in a week it's sort of like I'm like wow I've decided for the first two weeks I'm just going to sleep and do nothing those three days because I don't have to um so I think having that little break will help me get back into it and then yeah yeah, reassessing what I want to do with that time and who I want to attract back into the business yes that's the thing who you wanted to attract because I think you said at the end of last year you know you really want to get some more international people to work with yeah and we've um you know we've got our bdms now that are working in the business that are being trained so Mm -hmm. you know i think part of me wants to invest some of those three days into training and development of other people yeah cool the focus of 2021 being that the business isn't just a one-man band and me Mm -hmm. it's okay to let go of a little bit of that control yeah i mean that's huge for you too because you know listening over some of our older episodes and you were talking about leadership and how you did lead a team but now you're by yourself it's hard for you to delegate and lead but you're coming back into that again Hmm. I am and it's a whole different skill set it really is it's like you know when you run your own business and you're on your own you wear every single hat and you beat yourself up you're hard on yourself you drive yourself to the ground is what you do yeah and what I've realized and I and this is I know we've had chats about this as reflection from what you've said is other people will not have the same care or ethic as you do. And it doesn't mean that they're not working or they're not being productive. It just means it's not the same as yours. So I've totally embraced that and let people be them. Mm -hmm. 
um, and trust that they're going to do what needs to be done to get the results. Yeah. yeah. And I'm getting a tattoo in two weeks. <laughs> Good. The Sanskrit one? Yeah, surrender, because yeah. it's totally exactly what 2021 is for me. So, yeah. So you found someone who could read it? Thank God, yes. I found <laughs> it so it doesn't say my bitch or something like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, and it says surrender, so that's going to be happening in the next few weeks. But, yeah, it's a really good reminder of being the flow. Mm, it is. That's great. Look at us, how far we've come. <laughs> so, so different to how we would have started our energy and pace at the beginning of 2020, that's for sure, when we didn't even know that COVID was around the corner. Yep, completely. Mm. Yes. Well, welcome everyone to 2021. Yeah, we want to hear your comments. If you're feeling like us, let us know. You can go to IQ Meets EQ to leave comments directly on the episodes or we're both on LinkedIn. And where else can people find you, Ush? I'm on Insta at Ush underscore EQ. Oh, great. That's where people are being sent this year. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you can find my email at legallywisewomen.com.au. We'll catch you next fortnight. 